One would be Coca-Cola, who filed their first trademark application in 1892. Incidentally, there was the year when they were selling nine drinks a day. I call it a lemonade stand with a dream. If you're spending your time, money, and energy building a business and you don't think that it's worth stealing from you, you're doing something wrong. You're wasting time building something that's of no value. And if you think that value will come later, maybe, but you should be the first person in the world to believe that there is some value. Welcome back to Risk It. Today I have with us featured guest Andre Minkoff. Andre is the owner of Trademark Factory International, which is the only firm in the world where licensed lawyers and trademark agents can help you register your trademarks with a free trademark search for a single all-inclusive flat fee with a 100% money-back guarantee. Andre is from Russia and was in court at 19 years old. I'll let Andre tell you a little bit more about himself. So Andre, go ahead and give us a little introduction to your background and area of expertise. Cool. Thank you for having me. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a long story and uh, I don't want to take all the time telling the story, but intellectual property really is very personal to me because this whole thing started for me while I was still living in Russia and uh, my father, who was a famous composer there, Mark Minkov, he caught a radio station stealing his music to make an ad out of the song that he wrote for a children's film into an ad for Samsung. And when he called the radio station that aired that commercial, they basically told him to sit down, shut up, and be uh, happy that they're making him even more famous. And uh, if you knew my father, you'd know right away he didn't like it very much. He didn't like it at all. And uh, he said, okay, I'll see you in court. Uh, and the problem was that at that point, Russia just transitioned from the Soviet uh, intellectual property laws to more or less free market intellectual property laws. And there were not really many lawyers who knew this kind of stuff. Uh, and I just happened to be a student at a law school uh, and so he came to me and asked if I could help him. My problem was I had no idea about intellectual property or any idea of what to do in a courtroom, but I've always admired him and I always wanted to get his approval that was very important to me. Uh, and in fact, I used to sing his songs on stage with him since I was five years old. And one of the songs that I used to sing was the one that radio station stole. So I said, sure, let's give it a shot. And uh, just to give you some context, back then, my biggest problem was that there was no Google. just didn't exist. You couldn't go online and search for how do you sue the radio station <laughs> that stole your father's music. <laughs> you, know? you had to, uh, you know, I had to do it the old-fashioned way by reading books and uh, asking a bunch of people around. And uh, eventually, uh, we sued them. I had to take this case all the way up to one level down from the Supreme Court of Russia, so pretty much as high as it gets, my very first case. And uh, if you can imagine, so I used to have my hair 
really long, so it was going all the way up, you know, down my waist. And uh, I was putting it on the pony. I didn't own the suit until nine years in practice, right? And so I was, you know, representing my dad and, uh, you know, with that ponytail and jeans and everything. And we won eventually. And I got so passionate about this that really intellectual property has been the only career that I've ever had. So I started with my dad. I then joined the biggest international law firm. And uh, where, where I help clients like Apple, Microsoft, DreamWorks, J.K. Rowling, Sony, Yamaha, Google, you know, I can go on and on and on. If, if it's a big brand, I've probably done some, some work for them. And uh, 10 years ago, um, me and my wife, we realized that we had enough of living in Russia and uh, that I wanted a new challenge. And uh, we decided to move to Canada. And we did. So we moved to Vancouver. And uh, one of the first things that I realized as I started my immigration process is that uh, none of my Russian credentials, uh, you know, my years of experience as a lawyer, my PhD in law, none of that would have any value in Canada. So I had to go back to law school. And uh, so three more years of law school, got my license in Canada. And... uh, the assumption was, or what I assumed, is that when I'd come, they'd welcome me with all open arms, right, and say, well, great, they have all this experience, you've done all this great work, we want you to work for our law firm and do what you do best, which is intellectual property. Well, that did not happen. Uh, I did not get a single offer. And this is really when I discovered uh, you know, Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, which set me off on my entrepreneurial journey. And uh, really, that was a blessing in disguise because uh, I've never been happier for what I do. So what I did is I started my own firm uh, where I, which initially I thought would be a typical law firm that offers intellectual property services. And very quickly, I realized that being a great lawyer and being a great entrepreneur are completely different things uh, as that, my success uh, with the with the company would have very little to do with my brilliance and my excellence as a lawyer, and everything to do with my abilities as a marketer and a sales guy. Which, to be honest, at that point I had none. Right? I I, I looked at myself and thought I was the worst possible sales guy or marketer, and I started focusing on that. And um, as part of that process, I came up with this idea of Trademark Factory, which is my current business, which would make trademarking simple and predictable for brand owners. And uh, that's what I've been doing for the past five years now. And uh, that's been an extremely rewarding experience. I hope I didn't take too much time with my story. No, no, that's uh, that's great. I like when you don't have to try to dig into the background. I think you give a really good explanation there and it gives some good context as to where you're coming from in your area of expertise. Now, tell us a little bit about the biggest business or personal risk that you've taken to date. How did it turn out and what did you learn from it? Well, some of it I mentioned. One was the immigration from a country where I was in top five intellectual property lawyer, right? So moving from a hotshot lawyer to nobody, uh, a student (laughs) was uh, big, probably one of the biggest risks that I took and uh, turned out amazing. You know, I 
live in a country uh, where there is more respect for entrepreneurship, where there's more respect for individual rights, where there's more respect for intellectual property, uh, you know, live uh, in this big house and, uh, you know, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Uh, the second big risk was uh, pivoting after I realized that nobody wanted to hire me and starting my own my own business. That was really scary. Uh, and, uh, you know, my thinking was basically went like this. I, I, I thought, okay, so in Canada, in order to get your lawyer license, you need to um, do three years of law school and you have to work for a year uh, with, a, with a firm, basically as an apprentice, getting paid some, uh, you know, very insignificant amount of money. And the way I thought was, okay, if you start your own firm and you can't make at least that much, uh, you're probably not that great of a lawyer after all. And all your success is just, you know, based on the, uh, on, on, on the chance or the opportunity that your, your famous father gave to you. So if that doesn't work, maybe I have to reconsider. Uh, so that first year obviously wasn't great, but it, we, we made enough to, uh, to, to, to survive because the way I planned it when I came to Canada, so I had several hundred dollars, several hundred thousand dollars with me, uh, when I came. So it's not one of those, you know, I had $50 in my pocket stories, but, uh, the way I planned it. So the, the, you know, the, my assumption was, okay, four years before I get my license. So I, w I would be spending all this money, uh, assuming that by the time I get the license, uh, there'd be a huge lineup of firms offering me employment. And so by the time uh, I was done and got my license, uh, there was no money left, right? So that takes me closer to that $50 in a pocket story and uh, there were no offers. So we had to start everything from scratch and uh, that, that, that was tough. But, you know, like I said, it's even more rewarding because of that, because I, I can appreciate what it means to not know you know, where, where the rent next month rent is coming from. Um, the third risk was actually giving up my lawyer license. I had to give up my lawyer license. Well, I gave up my lawyer license voluntarily uh, in uh, July of 2015 because I realized that the way our regulations are set up in, 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 in Canada is that I couldn't do a lot of what I can do now. And I realized that I can help more businesses, more entrepreneurs who are committed to the success of their business, protect their brands they want, the way they want to get them protected. If I'm not a lawyer compared to if I am a lawyer, it doesn't make any sense to a normal person, but this is how the laws are written. So I looked at our numbers. I looked at what we're doing. I looked at what people, what people's feedback was, and I decided to say goodbye to you know everything that I worked so hard to get and basically wrote that uh, notification to the uh, Law Society of British Columbia saying, you know what, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. Bye-bye. <laughs> and uh, that was scary. And the scariest part was I had to uh, inform all of our existing clients uh, that the status have changed, has changed. And basically I, I took that as a marketing opportunity and said, you know what, uh, if you bought our services because 
you're influenced by that laminated piece of paper that I had in my pocket that says I'm a lawyer. Uh, no problem. Let me know, and we'll uh, you know transfer your file to somebody else. And if you want to ref- uh, you if you want to refund, we'll give you a refund. Uh, but if you came here because you wanted the your trademark registered, we're still going to do that. We still can do that. And uh, not a single client left, and we got a tremendous amount of emails from clients who who were so supportive. You know that that, that was that, that was great. So. You know, from a hotshot lawyer in Russia, first I became a nobody in Canada, then I became a uh, business owner in Canada, and then I became, so, you know, the the way I call it is, I used to be a lawyer with an entrepreneurial uh, inkling, uh, and then I became an entrepreneur who just happens to know a lot about intellectual property. So (laughs) these three big things are the the biggest pivots, the biggest risks I took. And uh, man, uh, they're probably the best things that ever happened to me in my life. That's great. I, I kind of want to circle back to something because I actually hear this quite a bit within the entrepreneurial circles that I uh, deal with. And it's that transition to sales and marketing when you really have your expertise in something else. I think a lot of people start a business with degree of some sort or some type of professional accreditation and they start their company thinking, okay, I'm going to open my doors, I'm going to tell my network and the floodgates are going to open and I'm going to be making a ton of money. But in reality, there's actually a lot of sales and marketing involved. So how did you pivot around sales and marketing and really handle the risk around that? Well, that's very simple. Um, your knowledge doesn't doesn't pay your bills. <laughs> clients do. Uh, if you have no clients, you have no business. And uh, the only way to get clients is to show them, show enough people the value that you can offer to them, right? And that requires you to just get better at this. And I was attending tons of seminars, webinars, read tons of books. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm still reading those books. I'm still, you know, improving uh, the scripts and this and that. But really, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I, I see that a lot in business owners as well, that everybody hates sales and marketing until they get decent at that. And uh, after a while, when they actually see how they can sell their their services or their products, when it's working, when they can actually convey that value, uh, the more they do that, the more they like it. And for me, it was you know a very interesting transition because I started as a lawyer who hated selling, uh, and then I became. A, a, a lawyer who was kind of okay at that and then getting better and better and when we started getting some really good conversion rates I realized that I actually enjoy selling more than I enjoy doing the actual work uh, and uh, I mean I'm still passionate about the industry I'm still passionate about helping people get from point A to point B but it doesn't mean that I want to uh, spend my time working on the 16th version of you know the draft uh, because that's not really where I can provide the most value. Right, this is how Trademark Factory started growing. Right, we started hiring people. There's now a team of 12 people. 
and uh, um, everyone has their their role and my role primarily is to build relationships and to build systems in the business uh, to make sure that everything is working properly and yeah of course I still take care of some of the legal issues for, for our clients uh, but it really only happens when uh, one of our team members is, you know, wants a second opinion or a third opinion. And at that point, uh, you know, I'm happy to say, okay, well, how about this? How about that? But I let them do the, you know, do, do go back and well, work on the actual documents, right? So to me, I'm, like I said, I'm, I st- I've always looked at law as a puzzle that needs solved, right? I still love that. But... Uh, once I figure out the solution in my head, I'd much rather just give you a bullet point version of what the solution should be and then have, have somebody else write a 10-page <laughs> letter around those bullet points. Mm-hmm. I want to thank you for that. I think you gave some really good insights about that. And I think the one big takeaway is that understanding your value is really important. I mean, it seemed evident that you recognize the value in the services you're providing. So it stopped being a tedious task and it it really came from passion. And that kind of comes out in the way you speak about your business and the service you offer. So I want to thank you for that. Here's, uh, here's actually a suggestion that I want to share. When I was starting this business and I was, you know, barely getting by with very few clients and very uh, skimpy bottom line. Uh, after attending one of those seminars, I realized that in order for me to build it in some, into something bigger, I needed to start thinking bigger. And the way I took care of that is I came up with a number that I knew that I could not make myself by selling my time. Right. Uh, that was I, I think that was a webinar plus uh, Michael Gerber's book Emith. Why right? when I read when I read the book when I attended the seminar, I'm like okay that makes sense. So I, I, I set a number which was I think fifty thousand dollars a month. I knew that I could not sell uh, my legal services by billing people um, if I only worked at the business myself. Right uh, and. That made me think, okay, what needs to happen in this business for me to be able to make this money, for the business to make this much money, right? And this was what really um, pushed me to build Trademark Factory because uh, you need to have different structures for different results that you want. And as soon as you uh, think of a structure that's required for, uh, for the revenue that you can't uh, produce yourself by selling your own time, that's when uh, the real entrepreneurial game begins. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. That's very, very true. And uh, that's, uh, that's a good way to transition to our next section, which is more focused on how you help clients identify, assess, and control risks today. Well, what we do is very is very niched, right? So all we do is trademarks. And actually <laughs> brings me back to, uh, to, to, to this <laughs> conversation I had with somebody at the networking event, like literally three days after I give up the license. She's like, so Andre, what do you do? Well, we do trademarks. Okay, and what else do you do? Like nothing. 
That's the only <laughs> thing that we do. Right. And that felt really good to be able to say that after, you know, say, well, we can help you with this, with that. So to go back to your questions about the risks, uh, because all we do is trademarks, really the risk is seeing what's out there, uh, whether there are any other brands that are too close to yours and whether you should uh, be trademarking your brand now or maybe even pivoting into something else. So. This was actually one of the reasons I set up Trademark Factory the way we did, in that we start with a free trademark search. So if you have a brand, uh, if you have a business that has a brand that you're thinking of protecting, the first thing you'd do is you'd go uh, and request your free trademark search from us, and my team is going to check what's out there. So it's not an automated uh, database uh, search. We actually have a team of, of, of uh, great people who look into this and identify not just identical trademarks, but also similar trademarks. And we prepare a report uh, that will tell you exactly where you are in terms of your brand. Right? You want to be uh, a unique brand, of course, and uh, if there's something out there similar, you need to know how similar and whether that's going to create a substantial problem for you in your business. So we do this research and we present it to you and you decide whether you want to move forward with the brand as you came up with it or maybe come up with a different brand. Yeah, that's that's good. I think it's something that a lot of organizations maybe don't think about. And I think one of the big issues is you can create a whole bunch of marketing material and then all of a sudden have to switch it. And when you're putting decals on vehicles or printing off a bunch of cards or creating basically a bunch of marketing material in general, that can be a big issue when you have somebody knocking on your door telling you you need to switch things up a bit. Right. And, and, and look, and it's not just about trademarking. It's also about are you even allowed to use that brand, right? The last, as you small, while you're still small, nobody cares. But as you grow, if your brand is too close to something that had been trademarked by somebody else before, you are going to run into a big problem, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's it, you know finding out whether the name you came up with uh, is something that you can use or something you can own, something that every business needs to do early on. Because the last thing you want is to build that brand and then find out that, whoops, I can't use it, I can't own it, I have to rebrand. And the more value you build around that brand, the more painful it's going to be. Yeah, of course. Definitely makes sense. Now, what do you think is the number one reason that people fail to address risk around trademarks? And what advice can you give to others? Um, Number one reason is lack of self-belief. Simple as that. Uh, A lot of business owners don't believe that they deserve success. They don't believe that they're good enough to build something that's going to have any value. Uh, they are looking at trademarks at something for just the big boys where nothing could be further from the truth. But it really all boils down to not believing uh, that whatever they're doing has value. This is why you know, one of the most painful uh, responses that I hear from a lot of business owners when uh, we'll tell them that they should be trademarking, trademarking their brand is this. Well, but who's going to steal that from me? If you're spending your time, money, and energy building a business and you don't think that it's worth stealing from you, 
you're doing something wrong. You're wasting time building something that's of no value. And if you think that value will come later, maybe, but you should be the first person in the world to believe that there is some value. And it's a lot easier to protect that value while you're the only one who believes in your stuff, which, you know, uh, last year I did a research <clears throat> to see when all the hottest startups trademark their brands when they first when they filed their first trademark application and that was very educational and uh, basically against everything that you would hear from a lot of gurus out there uh, even the gurus who work for these same companies <laughs> so uber the 50 something billion dollar company uh, they filed their first trademark two months before they launched. Uh, Firefox, the, the browser, two months before they launched. Stripe, the credit card processor, eight months before they launched. You know, Google, same month. Facebook, same month. And here's my favorite. Airbnb, they filed their first trademark application while the owner was still renting out his own bedroom to pay for the overhead. So, oh, wow. so the only reason they did that is because they believed that they could be the next big thing. Uh, and uh, really, you know, the cost of trademarking is irrelevant uh, because, uh, you know, I used to be, you know, I used to explain this that, oh, no, actually, no, the cost of trademarking is, is, is you no, know, trademarking is not expensive. But then I realized that it's neither expensive nor not expensive. It's irrelevant. And I'm going to give you two examples. Uh, one would be Coca-Cola, who filed their first trademark application in 1892. Incidentally, there was the year when they were selling nine drinks a day. I call it a lemonade stand with a dream. And uh, now that their brand is worth $73 billion, just the brand, not none of their uh, facilities, none of their distribution, just the brand, $73 billion. Do they care they ever wonder if they overpaid the lawyers who filed their first trademark application, it doesn't matter, Never. right? Even if they overpaid their lawyers bar factor of 100, it's still the best ROI they've ever <laughs> gotten out of anything. Uh, and and the other example would be uh, Carhu. Uh, and if you're wondering what Carhu is, it's a startup that burned through quarter billion dollars. Well, you heard it right, $250 million hoping to become a competitor to Uber. Uh, and after they burned through $250 million, uh, they went bust, they went broke. Uh, so whatever, a penny, a dollar that they spent on trademarking was a penny wasted, right? So nobody starts a business hoping to fail. But if you are starting a business, if you are doing something, you should at least hope that it can get you somewhere. And if you are doing starting a business, if you are building it, you're spending your time. You should do you know the right things about it. And one of the one of those things is protecting the brand. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's a, that's a great transition to our next section, which is the what if section. So, what if someone is looking to trademark their brand? What are the first steps that they should take? Well, that's simple. Uh, you should uh, get us to do the trademark search for you. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, look, 
if I did not believe that we're offering the best thing on the market, I wouldn't be so confident about this, right? I wouldn't be starting with this, but I know that what I've built uh, is a game changer on the uh, trademarking um, front, right? Nobody's doing trademarks quite the way we do them. And uh, what you wanna do is find out, start with finding out is, is your brand trademarkable? And you would do that by filling out the form, we'd do the search, we'd, do, we'd prepare the report, and it's gonna cost you nothing. Uh, most firms charge about $300 per trademark to do this. Uh, all we ask of you is to have a genuine intention to actually protect your brand if it is trademarkable, right? And uh, because, you know, we're not in a free trademark search business, we're in a get your trademarks protected business, but we start with a free search. And if, you know, if, if, they, if I can give you the analogy is, you know, when some of your electronic equipment breaks down, you'd call all those repair shops and they tell you, well, yeah, first you need, we need to, you need to bring it in uh, and we'll uh, do the diagnostics and we'll let you know if we can fix it. And, and the diagnostics will cost, you know, $1,500, whatever. And then I ask them, well, what if it ends up that you can't fix it? Do I get my money back? And the answer is invariably no. And that was, that's, you know, that pisses me off, really. If you look at my thing and you tell me you can't fix it, I don't want to pay for for the knowledge that you can fix it. So same with same same philosophy I'm using with Trademark Factory. If we tell you we can't help you trademark your brand, I, I don't I don't want you to have to pay for that, right? So the number one the the, the, the what if you know if you're looking the first thing that they should do is fill out the form, tell us what the brand is. It's all confidential. We're not in the business of stealing your brands. We're in the business of uh, protecting your brands. And um, it's, it's a self-explanatory form. You fill out the form, tell us what the brand is, you book a time for one of our team members to walk you through the report because we understand that you're business owners, you're not lawyers. Uh, we're not trying to turn you into lawyers. We're trying to uh, get you is involved in this process as little as possible just so you know what's happening and so you can tell us a bit more about your business. But the, all the background noise, well, that's to you the background noise, but really our work is something that we will take care of for you after. That's great. No, I, I think that's definitely valuable. And I think that uh, guarantee is something that people can look forward to. But I think you really did express the importance of making sure that people do trademark their brands in general. Uh, obviously, your service is, is great, but it's just generally important to take away that uh, trademarks are important. Now, can, 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 audience... can, can I follow up on that? Uh, yeah, yeah, of yeah, course. If, for, for whatever reason, you don't like us, you don't like me, you don't like Trademark Factory, you know, you don't think we're the fit to work for you, get a trademark with somebody else. Uh, it's really not about us, it's about you. And uh, I'd much rather you do it with us, but I, you know, but if you don't, do it with somebody because your brand is worth it. And you know, my our our own tagline is: if it's worth promoting, it's worth protecting. If you're doing something with your brand, protect your brand. Yeah, of course, it's uh, definitely something that's important to understand, and I think that you've helped everybody get the 
understanding of what value it brings to trademark your brand. So how can the audience connect with you or get more involved with your business? Well, the website is trademarkfactory.com. Uh, it's easy to find and really that form for the free trademark search is the first thing you're going to see. Um, we have the, you know, the phone number, the email, the all, all of those social media um, um, accounts posted on there, but probably the easiest way is just through the website. Uh, the email address that we have posted on the website, tm at trademarkfactory.com, goes directly to me. I read it. Uh, and uh, if you have any questions, you're welcome to uh, send me a note and we'll take it from there. Great. Now, in closing, we always like to get the number one resource that you think the audience should be checking out, whether it be a book, application, website, you name it. What would that be? Can I have three number ones? <laughs> sure. Make that. Make them. Uh, make them quick, though. Yeah. So, number one, uh, the book E Myth by Michael Gerber. It's an amazing book. Second book would be uh, Built to Sell by John Warlow. Uh, that was actually what inspired me to build Trademark Factory the way I built it. And three is the movie, The Founder, about uh, McDonald's. Uh, there is a uh, part there about the brand, about the importance of the brand, about the value of the brand. It's very little, very short, about you know a minute long. But once you see it, you, you will never look at your brand the same way again. I'm glad I let you say all three because I think number two and three uh, added something for my list this weekend. So I'm definitely going to be looking into both of those resources. So I appreciate that. But in closing, Andre, I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been tremendous. And I think everybody's going to get a ton of value from this episode now and in the future. And uh, thank you for coming on and hope to see you again sometime. Thank you, Braden. It was a pleasure to be a part of this. I look forward to, uh, you know, getting all the comments and uh, uh, the feedback. And I hope if it, if it, if it helped at least somebody uh, get better and get some more value out of this, I, I, I'm a happy man. Great. Thank you very much, Andre.